How much would your life change if you could see a status window for your real body? If you could actually watch fast food decrease your overall health, or if reading a book gave you a physical confirmation that you are now smarter. That's gamification in action. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Yukai Chow, a man who many credit with the creation of gamification as we understand it today. He owns businesses, has written novels, speaks publicly, and advises privately on all aspects of gamification and how it can be applied beneficially in almost any field. This was an extraordinary opportunity to talk to someone who literally created a new field of study in the world, and I think that's important to mention. I wanted to say a couple things before we get into the interview. I know it's a tangent. I hope you'll bear with me because it's all important to me. Number one, a huge shout out to all the new and existing listeners. The growth I've been seeing on my end has been so amazing that it is honestly hard to believe. Downloads for this show have nearly tripled in just one month, and that wouldn't be possible without people like you listening to all the things that I do and the people that I have here. Secondly, the newest episode of the Iconoblast podcast, number 85, Megalodons and Dinosaurs, just came out today, and I'm the guest star on that. Coop and Joel are great guys, and the show is super funny. I know we had a great time doing it. Uh, the humor is a bit more crude than this, if that bothers you. But I think people should watch it on YouTube. There's a lot of good physical stuff that we do for that episode. Uh, if you want, though, you can listen to it wherever podcasts are. And lastly, I just got back from Austin, Texas, and I wanted to give a huge thank you to the entire Tetherball Academy Media Network for inviting me to take part in all of their things and taking care of me while I was down there. So thank you, Coop, Joel, Sean, uh, both Dans, Bob, Ross, Jesse, all of you. Hopefully I can hang out with more awesome people and listeners in August while I'm in San Jose, California. But anyway, let's get our real-life skills leveled up. Welcome to the show, Yukai Chow. Hey, how's it going? Great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little for the audience who isn't familiar? Sure. So my name is Yukai Chow, and I'm known as a pioneer in the world of gamification and an entrepreneur author in the works of gamification and NFT metaverse related topics. And it started in 2003 when I started working on gamification. I uh, wrote a book uh, called Actionable Gamification Beyond Points, Badge, and Leaderboards. And I teach my framework at places like Stanford University, Yale, Oxford, uh, Tesla, IDEO, Google. Um, and I've done a variety of startups. Right now, I run a consulting design firm and a uh, uh, education platform and an NFT company called Metablox. And that is an impressive resume, to say the least. Like You dropped some heavy names in there early on. Yeah, there's there's a lot of other interesting things that uh, maybe we can get into when we're starting to talk about content, but I don't want to fill the whole conversation about about my bio and name drops. But yeah, if this if if a relevant story shows up, then I'll I might say, oh, I, at this time I was doing that, and 
uh, some of them end up being kind of fun. Yeah. Awesome. So why don't we start off right off the bat and just say, what is gamification? Yeah. So gamification is applying all the fun, exciting things found in games, those design elements and applying those to important things in the real world. So things that you, you have to do, but you don't necessarily enjoy doing things like healthcare, uh, well-being, uh, finance, so education. So basically making mundane but important things fun and exciting, that's the core of gamification. Right. Adding some level of entertainment to an otherwise mundane task. Absolutely. Um, and what drew you into it? Yeah, so that goes back to 2003 where I was a very heavy gamer and I used to play this game of Diablo 2. And I invested thousands of hours to level up my characters, get more gear, get more gold, find the right skills and alliances. And then it got to a point where all my friends started quitting the game and move on to other games. So I quit too. And I just felt extremely, extremely empty. I thought, well, you know, those thousands of hours are all gone. You know, my characters are strong, but I'm the same loser in the real world. And I thought, you know, can't there be a game where the more hours you spend on it, the better your real life is? And also, uh, how can we have uh, a scenario where all the important things we should do are fun and exciting? So that set me off a journey on discovering that, hey, my life is actually a game. And if I was my own RPG game character, I would never allow myself to just stay in town and be idle and walk back and forth, back and watch TV. I would go out and, you know, accumulate experience in, in the game of killing monsters, accumulate experience, um, in, improve skill points, find the lines to do quests. And so once I turned myself to a, my, my own life into a game, that's also when I started my first company uh, in 2004. And, and yeah, it kind of uh, took me the whole journey there. Yeah, definitely. It's one of those that's like, if you could see your health bar in everyday life, like you'd probably choose to eat and exercise differently. Yeah. Imagine if every unhealthy food you eat, you see the minus two health, minus 10 HP, and you see that bar dwindling and you're like, oh, that's not good. And you'll probably do a lot less of that. Hey, you're like, hey, uh, this thing's starting to get real low and I am a bit uncomfortable. Like, hey, there are ways to, to change that and let yeah. us show you. So it's interesting. I mean, a field that literally lets you take, you know, the stats or whatever it is that you love from a game and just plug them into your, your real life and say, like, look at these things that you could be doing that you would entirely do if you were in a game. And you, know, you mentioned that you started in 2003. And as far as I can tell, that's when gamification became a thing was in 2003 as well. So you're like the one of the first people to ever do it. Yeah, well. Back then, it wasn't a real thing. It was just you know pockets of individuals who have a concept, a, a passion of making game design more useful. Uh, I think the game kitchen industry became quote unquote more of a thing in, around more two thousand and nine, when uh, technology startups, there's a gamification platforms, raised a lot of VC funds, and they started spending a lot of marketing dollars promoting gamification, which is a blessing and curse. The blessing is that it gave a lot more exposure to the field of gamification. So there's more traction. The curse is that because the, the platforms themselves only uh, do what we call PBLs, points, badge, leaderboards. Uh, basically, whatever problem people have, points is the answer. So a lot of people end up feeling that, oh, so gamification just applying some points and badges to a boring experience. And that's technically very far from the truth. Right. Uh, I have a, like a life gamifier app on my phone that I was like, Hey, I will use this to motivate myself into doing activities that I know I'm supposed to be doing anyway. And 
Um, it is entirely point-based. Like when I, I looked at your book title and it says like, oh, these are the three things it doesn't need to be, which is points, badges, and leaderboards. And then I looked at my app. I'm like, oh, that's all this is. Well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. It, and points, badges, leaderboards, they do have their values, but the problem is that there are misuse most often. And if you look at what makes a game exciting? So I've been running workshops for the past 10 years. And I often ask a question in terms of, hey, think about your favorite game in the past, whatever game it is. Think about one. Tell me why is that favorite game? Out of all the games out there, what makes that game unique and interesting? So far, I've never heard a single person tell me, oh, because that game gave me points or badges, right? They'll tell me, oh, because it allows me to use my creativity. I can strategize. I can beat my friends. I can play with my kids. Oh, that sense of mystery and storytelling is so engaging. Like these are all the things that make people feel like, wow, games are, are such amazing things. And yet when people do gamification, they don't, a lot of times they don't, they do none of that. And they just say, Hey, let's do the points. And so analogy I give is um, it's like a game designer saying, Hey, let's create a very boring game. And if the person plays this boring game a thousand times, they'll get some badges and points and some rewards. That just makes no sense, right? You want to make the activity itself fun, exciting. And then to say, Hey, if you play this exciting game a lot, and you played well, then you can increase in status. You can get some rewards. Then you become a much better game design. Yeah. I mean, it feels like, you know, a, a game with no stakes, you know, if you just have the points, badges and leaderboards, like, well, I can only go up and there is, there's no risk here. Like if I don't do it, what happens? Like I just don't progress. Oh, well then I don't have to worry about doing it because I'm fine with not having a day of progression. Um, and that turns into, you know, a week of no progression. And then you forget you have the app on your phone. Yeah. So technically there's uh, eight core drives of human motivation. So everything we do is based on these eight core drives, which means that if there's none of those eight, then there's zero motivation, no behavior. And this is part of the octalysis framework that we're talking about. And uh, yeah, the points and badges, like you said, are just one of the eight core drives, a core drive to development accomplishment. So uh, points is basically a sense of development and progress. So you might be doing the same thing over and over again, but at least you see that number growing higher, this progress by moving forward. So you feel like you're kind of getting somewhere, but you know, by itself, if you, don't, if you don't design meaning to it, by itself, it's just a number to stare at. And then badges are what we call achievement symbols. You know, they symbolize a sense of accomplishment and achievements can sim symbols can be in many different forms, could be trophies, crowns, um, Uniform change can be black belt, white belt in martial arts. And, you know, that has lended into Six Sigma with a quality management control, right? But the key thing is that you must make people feel a sense of accomplishment. Uh, a lot of times uh, companies just give people badges for every silly thing they do. And it just, it's just an icon and, and it means nothing. And people kind of embarrassed to show is like, oh, I'm not in kindergarten. I don't need a badge for like making my first friend, you know? And so, so the idea is that you need to install meaning into it. It's just like, a trophy, right? You can go to a store and buy a trophy for yourself, but it means nothing. You have, but if you go to a tournament and you actually perform well and you got first, you won a trophy, then it actually means something. So I think those same things in the real world applies to game design and gamification too. Yeah. And I want to dive into that. Um, but there was something important that I heard you say, you know, when I was looking at some of this, which was, I wrote it down because it really like struck me, which was everyone has the capacity to enjoy games. And that speaks to like, yeah, you might think of when somebody says a game as, you know, a specific, maybe it's a video game and there's that specific image that you have in your head, but 
like the term game is so broad that it really can encompass everyone and draw everyone in. Yeah. I mean, most people think like kids play games. Uh, but if you look at my mother-in-law, she's 74 years old. She plays Candy Crush a lot. My father, who is a, who uh, he just retired. He was an ambassador of Taiwan, uh, uh, sent from Taiwan to, to uh, South Africa. He likes to play his Mahjong game on his iPad all day long. And, and, you know, people who think they're too good for games, they like to play poker with others. So there's a variety of uh, things where people say, well, I'm not a gamer. And you realize they end up actually playing some kind of game, you know, at least an hour to sometimes three hours a day. Um, and I think it's just that a lot of people feel like there's a stigma, like, oh, I'm, I, I don't have time to play a game because it's for kids to waste my time, uh, which is true. And this is why for, uh, what I talk about is as long as you give people a reason to, everyone can enjoy uh, playing games. And, um, you know, and so that's the thing about gamification. Now, while you play these games, your life actually becomes better. You're more productive. You have better relationships. You're healthier. And I think that's the key thing about uh, gamification design. Yeah. And I love that it's being, you know, pushed forward into so many different facets that, you know, it can become an education tool or it can become a fitness tool or, you know, like the, the applications really are endless to anything that you want to accomplish. You know, there's a gamification theory that like leads you there. Yeah. yeah. And I can tell you our clients. So it's like the, the, the range of, of people. So one of our projects to gamify the, uh, the largest steel manufacturer in the world. And our goal is to reduce injuries. So it's to make remove, removing and reporting hazards more fun. And so we want to reduce injuries, right? And then another project is to motivate kindergartens in China to eat more healthily. And another project is a crowd, uh, crowdfunding site that only accepts 100 millionaires and billionaires. And I also work with the second large Jewish website. And the goal is to motivate uh, Jewish people to be close to, to their God. So if you go from you know, uh, manufacturing workers, steel manufacturing workers in Brazil to kindergartens in China to hundred millionaires and billionaires to rabbis, you know, I feel like you almost can't get further away from, from each other as demographics. Yeah. It's like you took the demographic chart and then just like cut it out of the, the frame it was in. And you're like, we're going to take all this. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, this is the power by, right? because the, the common denominators, we're all dealing with human beings. And they and and humans have the same brain, and we're all motivated by the same things. Like so, the eight core drive. Of, of, everyone wants to feel socially appreciated. Everyone wants to uh, feel a sense of competency. No one likes to feel incompetent or right? unappreciated. People want to feel that they're part of something bigger than themselves, and they're using a creative autonomy. So it's about incorporating these principles that uh, we as humans crave. And then we bring it into environments that are, are productive and useful for them. Yeah. And that's fantastic. And I would love to, you know, if you have the willingness to talk to us about uh, the eight core principles, because I think, you know, listening, like every one of them is extraordinarily critical. Yeah. So then this is something that, um, again, I'm most known for, and it, it, it was published in 2012. So it came off of a research for me to look at, you know, why are some games successful and some games are not? What actually makes a game successful? And I like to study games that are very similar to each other. Sometimes they're just copycats, a clone. Um, and, but somehow one is successful, one's not. And I notice a few things. Number one, it's not because of the 
uh, game elements or mechanics, right? It's not like one has points and the other doesn't, or one has leveling or, or Easter eggs, whatever, because they're copycats. Um, you know, they'd have the same game elements because they're clones, but one is six and one's not. It's also not because of the graphics. Sometimes the visually stunning game is a massive failure and the relatively ugly low-res game like Minecraft or um, uh, RuneScape tends to be very, very successful. So at the end, so I made the notification that, uh, that, hey, just because you have game elements does not mean your product or service is, is very fun, right? Because every game has game elements, but most games are, are, are failures. So what actually makes it fun? And it ended up being those acreage. So I published the Octalysis framework. It's called the Octalysis because a combination between the word octagon and analysis. Uh, I, so I published it on my blog, ukaisha.com. And within uh, a year, it was, uh, I think, organically translated translate into 16 different languages. So I'll see it in like a, on, the, on the keynote speech of a, of a Russian conference and all those places. And I started getting all these opportunities to, to teach this framework and, and design things. And so the key thing is that there's an octagon and there's the eight core drives on the octagon. So uh, these eight core drives include things like core drive on epic meaning and calling, uh, being part of something bigger than yourself. Core drive two is development accomplishment, filling sense of progression, reaching mastery improvements. Core drive three is empowerment of creativity and feedback, which is using your creativity, autonomy, uh, expression, uh, meaningful choices. Core drive four is ownership and possession, which means that it, because you feel like you own something, you want to improve, you want to protect, you want to get more of it. Uh, quarter five is social influence and relatedness. So it's things like competition, collaboration, gifting, social appreciation. Uh, quarter five six is scarcity and impatience. Basically, uh, you want something simply because it's difficult to obtain or you can't have it. And before you didn't care at all, but now you have desire because you're not allowed to do it. Quarter five seven is unpredictability and curiosity. So because you don't know what's going to happen next, you're always thinking about it. And this is the core drive that's heavily utilized in the gambling industry. But whenever you have like a sweepstakes system, a uh, uh, raffle tickets, a uh, uh, lottery system, you have this core drive. And then core drive eight is loss and avoidance, which is uh, avoiding loss. You know, you're you're afraid of something and you don't want, uh, you want to uh, escape negative results. So those are the eight core drives, but it's also in the octagon shape for a reason. So the top of the octagon, we call them white hat motivation core drives. They make people feel powerful, in control, they feel good. But there's no sense of urgency, so people procrastinate. And then, so the bottom of the octagon, um, those are black hat motivation core drives that make people feel urgent, obsessed, even addicted. But in the long run, it leaves a bad taste in their mouths because uh, they feel like they're not in control of their own behavior, if that's the only uh, motivation. The left side of the octagon, we call them left brain core drives, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean it's geographically on the left side of our brain, but it symbolically represents our logical brain versus the right brain core drives on the right side that connect with our emotional brain. Now, what's interesting is the left brain core drives deal with extrinsic motivation, uh, things you do for a reward, a purpose, or a goal, but you don't necessarily enjoy the activity itself. So once you obtain your reward, you hit your goals, or you get used to the reward, uh, it becomes stale, you stop doing the behavior. The right brain core drives deal with intrinsic motivation, things you just enjoy doing to the point that you're even willing to spend money to experience. And even if we lost all our progress the next day, we still want to do those things today because that's how we measure quality of lives. You know, how much time we spend in uh, doing things we just enjoy doing. So the Octalysis framework altogether is uh, basically just looking at, hey, not only do we want to motivate desired actions, we want to create behavior, but we also want to understand what's the nature of the motivation. Is it long-term? Is it short-term? Is it black hat, white hat? Is it intrinsic, extrinsic? And we start from there to, to craft out a fun, exciting journey for, for a user. Yeah, and it's 
I mean, it is an immense topic. Um, you know, when you wrote about octalysis, like there is a book, you literally wrote a book on the topic. So 500 pages. Yeah. So, um, you know, to, to get even like a limited breakdown, like you really have to crunch those ideas. Um, so much so that it's like, you know, uh, beyond comparison for us. Um, but you cover a lot of really interesting things in there that, you know, it makes you think about the games you play or the things you've seen where it's like, oh, we we created this scarcity. And then you're like, oh, well, I know this social game and it has skins for your characters and they mm -hmm. put the like rare tag next to one of them. And you're like, well, now I want that even more. It's like it's not necessarily, you know, statistically all that much more rare but because it says rare next to it, now you want it. Yeah. Like, oh, there's, well. there's, there's uh, techniques like the torture break design, which is, uh, then this is scarcity. This is extrinsic and black hat. So people feel uh, out of control, but they feel obsessive. So it, torture break is basically saying, stop. You're not allowed to play this game anymore until you wait for six hours. You need to wait for your army to come back, your plans to grow out or whatever reason, right? And so now because the game stopped you from playing, you're obsessed. So people log in two hours later, three hours, four hours later, just to see if they could go. Even though the, their logical brain knows that it hasn't been six hours, but they just want to get in because they were physically barred, not uh, yeah, physically barred from playing the game. So um, if, 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 but if you play to your heart satisfaction, right? You're like, yeah, I want to play for three hours straight and I get there, then you don't think about the game anymore for you know, one or two or even three days. But because the game stopped you from playing, now you're obsessed. So, so that's a scarcity component. Uh, another really cool uh, thing is what we call the magnetic cap, which is if you want to motivate people to do more of a behavior, you, you place a limit at how much time and times they can do it. Uh, so the, there's a study that shows um, there's, a, there's a supermarket that wanted to uh, sell uh, eggplants. So they put a sign that says you can buy eggplants at a 10% discount you can buy basically as many as you want. They saw on average people bought about three to four eggplants because you know that's all you need for uh, you know created meal for the family. Uh, but then they switched the sign to say that hey, again, ten percent of eggplants, but you can only buy ten max. And what's interesting is that well, people only want to buy three to four, right? So you shouldn't do anything when you do ten max. But when they put ten max, suddenly the average became sixty-seven, and it's just basically people saying you know. I'm going to take advantage of my God-given rights mm -hmm. to buy 10 eggplants. You know, they put us a limit and people want to challenge that limit. So I call that the magnetic cap. It's a cap. It stops the behavior, but it's magnetic sex to the top. So, so that's, that's an interesting game mechanic that games use to monetize. Uh, and you contrast that to white hat motivation design, which is giving people creativity, right? And strategy. So if you look at a game like chess, chess uh, is very uh, straightforward game, 32 pieces, 64 squares and has been fun for centuries, and it's still fun today. And they don't have to add new content. They don't have to say, oh, here's a new chess piece. Here's a new board. Here's a new map. A new hero enters the scene, right? Because our brains are entertaining itself. It's like being a uh, inventor or science of lifelong experimentation. It's just always fun when you're, when you're using your creativity. And they don't, they don't, and when you use it, you feel great. You feel awesome. You don't feel like, oh, there's the scarcity component that's just like stringing me along with a carrot. So, so based on uh, your 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 goals and your design skills. You would use a variety of different core drives uh, for different purposes. Yeah, it's interesting to think about because you'd think like, oh, well, a game that kicks you out after a certain amount of time and just says like, no, no more for you. Uh, you'd think it would do 
you know, less well against things that are like, you can play forever. Um, and yet if they said like, no, max of three hours, like you might spend three hours in the one that lets you play forever, but you're definitely going to spend more than three hours in the other one because it told you you couldn't. And yeah. you're like, I, I bet I can. <laughs> yeah. And people find ways to like cheat. They turn, they turn the clock a bit on their, on their computers and phones and they go back and play. And they think they're like very smart gaming the system, but they're basically just doing what the game developers want them to do, which is spend more time playing the game and feeling smart about themselves. Yeah. The game designers are like, congratulations, you beat us. I guess you're the best. Like, yeah. But you're not going to keep doing that, right? No one would keep doing that. He's keeping, he's doing it. He's still doing it. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. And they're happy because you're these, this guy's working, you know, twice as hard as any other gamer. And you had an interesting comparison to it. Um, when I first heard it, where you said like, look, this is Kickstarter, you know, Kickstarter has this like, oh, well, what if there's only a certain amount of people that can buy this new thing? And there's a clock that says you can only do it for the next week. Like suddenly I didn't care that much about this product before. I don't necessarily need it in my life. But I do really want it, and I know it only has a week left, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Yeah, you get it because it's scarce, not because you actually want it. If it was abundant, you wouldn't care. Yeah, exactly. They're like, oh, there's 30 million of these. You're like, cool, I don't need one. Yeah, or you know, I'll get it later, which means never. Exactly. And that's another interesting thing you have to overcome, which is somebody's like short-term goals versus their long-term goals versus like their short-term reward versus the long-term reward. Like, how do you overcome something like that? Uh, you don't overcome, you design and you craft the right experience. So uh, you over, you overcome things if you're stuck, right? Then you need to solve. But, uh, and this is where I said the learning curve comes in where uh, you, you craft the journey. So for instance, when you're doing marketing for, let's say your, your, your app or website, whatnot, you want to use more white hat motivation because you want to inspire people like Epic Mini and calling, wow, you know, you guys want to change the world. You guys are good for charity. Uh, you're, you're accelerating the, uh, the uh, progress towards uh, sustainable energy. And, and so people want to work with you, but it's white hat. So there's no urgency, right? So when in your sales process or conversion pages, you want to be black hat, which is like that. We just talked about, oh, you know, here's a promotion that's going to end in 22 minutes. And you're like, oh, I got to go do it. And there's only three seats left, whatever, right? And you got to sign up. So you sign up with some urgency. And then maybe at that point you feel, oh, well, it's a little bit of a, I was a little rushed to, I'm not sure. So this is when you bring it to the white heads. Like, hey, you just made a great decision. Look how your life can improve. Hey, here are all your friends who uh, did similar things. And look how, how, uh, how, you know, how they reach their goals on our platform. And then you, and then you're, and then your friend can pin you and say, hey, you know, nudge you a bit. It's like, hey, so great you're on the platform, right? And so you go into onboard, you go to the scaffolding, the end game. And how that journey uh, evolves just depends on the designer skill. Yeah. And it's, it's almost strange to hear that, like, they work so well together um, on any opposite side of the spectrum. Like, people love to gamble, but one mm -hmm. of the stages is, like, avoiding loss. And there's some like, you know, teeter tottering level in there that like, they're okay with losing, you know, and they want to avoid this massive pitfall. So they just don't include any massive pits where you throw your money into in casinos. They're not like, yeah, this is our money pit. And if you throw your money and you can see it lit on fire because people are like, well, I'm not going to do that. 
That's I'm, I'm going to avoid this. I'm going to go play at blackjack for the next five hours. And I'm going to lose, you know, $5 every two minutes. Yeah. So it again, completely depends on the objective. So the casino wants people to over time, lose all their money to the casino. So they'll deploy these, these core drives in a way that uses black hat. So people feel a little out of control, obsessed, and they will end up spending money there. So, you know, there are some online gambling sites reached out to us before and they, they said literally their goal is to want, they want to make people lose money happily. And we felt that's really dirty. And so we are not, so we politely decline. Uh, but then there are some projects where it's like, hey, people just wanted to exercise more, but they just couldn't get themselves to do it. So now we use those eight core jobs to suddenly make them more addictive to eating healthily, eating carrots, exercising. And then they're like, wow, like I just needed something to kick my butt or to engage me or to, to do it. And so, um, yeah, I think it's up to the designer's own ethical standards to understand, you know, what is the impact he wants to make in the world? He wants, does he want people to be uh, more addicted to harmful things or does he want people, society to be overall uh, better and more, and more productive because, um, you know, because of his ability to create value? Yeah. And it's nice to hear, you know, that you're like, we're not going to help the person trying to, you know, burn the world to the ground over here um, for their own profit margins but i wanted to see like how has technology changed things i mean even over the just shy of two decades you know that we've been looking at gamification since it like first started to emerge into where we are now in 2022 um, technology has changed a lot you know and like all of our phones are connected to the internet and any app you want at any point in time has that made it somewhat easier to like push people into better habits or is it doing the opposite um, well, technology creates a change in feedback mechanics and triggers. So the A core drives are the same. You know, just like I said, everyone wants to feel a sense of good purpose and meaning and improvement and growth and all these things. And those A core drives can be delivered through emails with people talking to you through just like games or right? games could be World of Warcraft, a lot of technology, or it could be hide and seek, no technology. And uh, it could still be fun. Now, the FIBA mechanics are the things you see that trigger these A-core drives, right? So, and this is why, for instance, in the early days of VR, and, you know, I used to also be, this one of the things I didn't mention, I used to be the uh, head of creative labs and head of digital commerce for HTC. So uh, pioneering some, uh, some VR technology and AR stuff. So in the early days of VR, um, when people put, on, put it on, it's novel, right? Core Drive 7, unpredictable curiosity. It's like, wow, it's so cool, so interesting. And then afterwards, they're like, yeah, I guess I'm done, right? Because there's no other Core Drive. There's, you know, there's no social interaction with people. There's no sense of strategy or creative experience because there's not a lot of content. And so it's just, hey, once the novelty is gone, there's nothing to do. So, so, the, so VR is just a medium to deliver those eight Core Drives, but it may not be there. And sometimes you, you see someone's email and that email just so engaging, it triggers all these core drives, even that scarcity core drive, you know, this opportunity is going to be gone soon. And this is the opportunity to change the world and, you know, all that stuff. Right. And you feel so engaged, so driven and some, some emails change people's life. Right. And so technology just affects how those eight core drives are delivered. Uh, but overall uh, it's, it's, um, it's mostly the same kind of mentality to when we think about Korean experience. Now, of course, I think be more accessible is a big thing, right? So, so now you have dynamic and constant 
available triggers. So people have their phones and there's the push notification. Like I actually turn off uh, push notification for most things. Like I don't get notification from emails. I only check emails when I want to check emails. Um, and in social media, I think there's a few things that I, I do turn on. So when it actually pops up, I think it's important. So when you have more triggers, you have more opportunities to deliver those equipment. And this goes back to what we're talking about in terms of uh, there are companies, their only purpose is to get people to look at more content and click on ads, right? And they don't care if you're growing as a person. They don't care if what you're looking at is educational or not. Um, and, and unfortunately, people like, you know, clickbait stuff and shocking news, right? And celebrity gossip, right? And so, yeah, all uh, about so, stuff. <laughs> yeah, so they'll so they'll push that to you in every possible moment. And like you said, for those people, I don't think their lives are improving. Uh, you basically open a channel of content anytime, and if you don't have good content coming in, then it's not going to improve your life. So, so I talk about immersion is so important you know, being in the right environment, you know, we, there's a lot of behavioral science that says, you know, our environment, even if we don't look at those things, they're constantly subconsciously affecting us, you know, motivational posters or the bed that makes you want to sleep, the TV, the fridge, or people working out, it always subconsciously affects our, how we behave. And so, and as we also know, like learning a language, right. You know, if you're immersed in the culture, in the country, you can, you know, you just need to be there for one or two months and it's better than two years of learning it in a classroom. So, so now you, you want to choose what you immerse yourself with. Like when you go on YouTube, when you watch different videos, you want to listen to things that help you grow documentary, like, you know, like this podcast, things like that. But if you end up just constantly watching time wasters, you're just, you know, you're immersing yourself in that environment and you're just going to constantly be sucked back to it. If you, if you're trying to quit a game and you're constantly watching like people streaming the game and, and uh, strategies of the game, you're going to go back to the game. It's, it's like almost fully predictable, right? The best way is to cut all of that from your environment. And only thing you want to see is how do you, you know, learn a new skill, let's say. Yeah. And that's something I don't think many people put the thought into is like the push notification on your phone. Like I go through and actively turn mine off. If I see that an app like at all puts one on my screen, I will hold it so that I can turn it off. But a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's annoying. And then they just, you know, swipe left, whatever it's gone for now. And it's, you know, it's going to return within an hour. You're going to have a new notification about it. You're going to have, you know, some other thing that just says like, oh, did you see this event? And that's all it says. It doesn't say like, and it's a waste of your time. But I was also really intrigued because you brought up VR and I'm really glad you did. Um, because I think VR is really cool. Like it's, it's, cool. One of, it's one of the things that I really enjoy. And I like to see that there's like more stuff coming out for it and it's progressing in some way where they're like, oh, here's a vest you can put on. Now you can, you know, feel a little bit more of what's going on. And, and here's yeah. like, here's the gigantic treadmill that takes up an entire room in your house. Um, but it feels really cool. Like just to see it evolve, even if it's not necessarily like where it needs to be. Um, because I can see like, oh, you put on the headset. And now you are the hero of the story. You know, you're literally the hero. Like yeah. you're, you're looking through the hero's eyes. You're holding the things the hero's hands are holding. Like you are the hero. Go do that. So I'm really intrigued to see where that goes and and if it has like yeah. some potentially large effects on our our health or otherwise. Yeah, and generally, uh, so so the the potential effects of health. If there's like anything like 
rate uh, radiation or anything like that. That that we don't know yet, right? But from the face value, at least if you're gonna be playing a game, uh, VR gives you more physical activity, right? To play the game, you have to swing your arms, you have to go up, you have to look up and down. It's not it's not staring down at your phone, uh, which hurts your 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 neck muscle. So overall, I think, and a lot of people already play exercise games in VR. But even if it's not, even if it's just um, exploration games or fighting games, you're 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 you know exercising your and and also place a limit to how much time you can play. You know, you get you get pretty tired constantly moving around. So so you know, I think VR has a lot of potential, um, and I think it's just it's just uh, depends on better content, better technology, and I think uh, if it's one company that controls the VR world or many companies in in a variety of ways offering lots of great content. Yeah, and it's like you said, you know, there's something about the accessibility of it. You know, uh, the early VR was almost impossible to get. You had to have a very specific system to run it. Like it was a, a big kind of money investment. And that's kind of slowly, but still like it's tapering off in that you can pick up VRs now for, you know, a third of what they used to, to charge. Is there anything like that that you, you really hope to see to kind of like, you know, push some of these drivers? Uh, well, when it comes to VR, I think there's, uh, there's this issue in the industry where it comes down to business models. So there's some companies their business model is to collect data and to sell content or ads. And so they can actually afford to lose money on every uh, VR head, uh, hardware they sell. And so the thing is that, hey, you, you can buy a headset for much cheaper than usual, and it's a good product. Uh, the issue is that you know, for some people, it's like they feel like, oh, well, but my data is being taken and you know, there's cameras on the VRs that scans my environment. So potentially the company can see everything in my, in my, in my room. And so, uh, so it's a trade-off. Um, and there's some companies that they just make VR as hardware. So they have to break even or, or hopefully be a little bit profitable on each hardware sell. And it's hard for them to compete with the, you know, hey, we're just going to lose money on hardware businesses. So, and this is why it's that, you know, some companies can just use, you know, strong pricing and, and, and this, you see that. And also for instance, Amazon and in, in the e-commerce, right? So everyone likes the service e uh, Amazon provides, Hey, I get quality, good service and pricing and uh, you know, and, but the, the side effect, everything's a trade off side effects is that uh, a lot of other smaller authentic businesses, they can compete. And so the potential danger, this is what I meant earlier. Potential danger is that one company will end up just dominating the entire industry and then they can do whatever they want. So, so I think the goal, it would still be better for the industry that there's a variety of players competing in different ways, offering different values, as opposed to one using, especially pricing price loss strategy to, uh, to penetrate the market. So, but uh, overall, I think, you know, companies are designed to try to win. So like if you're a business, why would you not try to, beat your competitors, right? And that's, if they see that's their best strategy, it's, I wouldn't say it's amoral to, to have that kind of strategy, but it just, I think as consumers, we benefit in the short run, but the long term, the long run, we don't know how it's going to end up. Yeah. I mean, that's very kind of analogous to Amazon as a whole, where you're like, yeah, the, the smaller people that may not have necessarily had the same, you know, ability to price out that Amazon does, 
are disappearing and then one day Amazon will be the only supplier of that thing. And at that point in time, they can dictate whatever price they want. You know, they held losses for however long they needed to. And now they can make, you know, an indefinite amount of profits. Yeah. Hey, they can say if you're not Amazon Prime, then you're not allowed to buy anything anymore, anywhere. Right. Yeah, that would, uh, I had not considered that, but that would definitely be a tactic. And they could, I mean, they'd get away with it because there's so many people that are like, yeah, I use it for everything. And the alternative, once they've, you know, kind of killed off all the competition is you have to wait for new competition to build itself up. And that's uh, very long. Th- this technology thing is a snowball, you know, it, you just can't, you don't, you don't wait for someone to eventually beat the dominant player. They just can't because the moment you have some traction as a smaller player, the dominant player either crushes you or buys you and then you become them or they buy you just to shut you off. Right. And this is, this is why, like, I don't like a lot of government regulation, but this is why it exists to say at that point, only government can say, Hey, we're going to give you a handicap. So, and, and allow the smaller players to come up again. Um, so, because, you know, things like that could happen and especially with technology, everything's like exponential, like the snowball effect. Once you get there, just no one can, no one can really beat you anymore. I mean, that is definitely like, I've made it to the top of the mountain and now I get to kick everyone else down it. Pretty much. You have all these, these, uh, big, uh, boulders that you can, that you can like push down the hill and crush everyone. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've appreciated this. I mean, you've been extraordinarily informational and that I burned through like every question I was sitting here thinking of, um, you had a great answer to right away. Um, and I didn't want to eat up a lot of your time. I know it's, uh, it's very valuable and I appreciate immensely having you on the show. Yeah, it's Uh, been fun. Yeah. Uh, you're you're a you're a very good listener. I know sometimes I I get really into some of the content and I talk for a long time and you've been very polite and not interrupting. So I think you're a really good listener and a great uh, a podcast host. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, everything you do has the potential to help you know educate people across all forms of everything. So I think it's especially interesting to have you talk about it. You know, on a show where I. I'm essentially trying to educate people. Um, and you're like, yeah, these are the things that are going to, to help advance any of these, these careers or these markets. Like if you're not paying attention to these subtleties that they are, you know, buying your attention, essentially, like you're not going to see what's, what's moving or where it's moving. Yeah. I, I recommend people kind of understand more, uh, uh, how about gamification works, behavioral design, uh, Octalysis framework? Because if you do, then when you see companies doing it, you can identify, recognize it. And then you can decide, hey, do I want to go along with it? I want to engage and play this game with them. Or is it no, because this game leads me to spending money when I don't want to. So I'm not going to disengage, right? So I think like investing yourself is the is the, the investment that has the biggest ROI, right? It's just like, it's lifelong dividends. Every year is, you'll you'll benefit from it. And so just having the ability, having the knowledge to understand the world better and what companies are doing, people are doing, uh, you can design your own life, gamify your own life. So you improve your life, but you can recognize when people are doing it. Uh, and again, you can choose to engage or not to engage. The power is all on you if you have the knowledge. Yeah. And what a wild ability to not only like break bad habits, but also form new, good, helpful ones for yourself with the exact same principle 
layout. That yeah, as long I, as you look at it, you're just like, yeah, these, these are the things that are bad. Oh, hey, look, I could make this good for me. Yeah, my my employee quit smoking because by gamifying her own her own lifestyle, and I finished my 500 page book with my gamification design strategies. So uh, it could it could create a lot of good. You just have to uh, recognize if it's being used by improper people. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely one of those that helps you keep an eye on on what's really happening around you. Um, and I'd love for you to, you know, kind of plug your product and and what you do so that people listening, you know, can go and find it. Uh, sure. If you want to learn more about what I do, you can go to yukaichao.com or if you Google gamification expert gamification framework, it should be a top result. Um, I have an education platform called Octasis Prime. So it's a gamified learning platform. It's basically downloading my brain. I have 900 videos there. Uh, a lot of members watch all of those 900 videos and they keep pushing me to make more. And actually my consultant design firm, I think seven out of eight people we hired in the past two years uh, came out of Octalysis Prime. So literally it's the best thing uh, that we can offer. And we're hiring these people that get trained by it. Uh, and recently started a NFT project called MetaBlocks. Um, basically it's NFT based on real life uh, real world places and powered by real life memories. So we're trying to uh, we're trying to install our most precious memories on the blockchain. So it's there forever for our grandchildren. But it's connected to this monopoly kind of a twist where you get your own locations that hold those memories. Yep. So those are a variety of things you can check out if you're if you want to learn more about me. Yeah. Awesome. And now I'm now I'm sitting here like, oh, I need to have you talk about NFTs because <laughs> I don't know enough to talk about what we are just discussed. <laughs> Oh yeah, NFT metaverse. You know, it's the big it's the big talk these days. I, I I get a lot of shows and talk about those. But yeah, I think maybe for another time, happy to discuss it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, thank you so much for being on the show. I genuinely appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. If you want to help the show grow, rate it five stars on iTunes or Spotify or Audible or wherever you're listening from. Just tell people that it's good. And if you haven't already, tell someone you know to listen to the show. It really gets more people to listen more than any other method I could use. I could pay for ads all day long, and it would never come close to being as good as each of you could be. Uh, I'm especially right now looking for new topics or guests and taking questions from the audience, so reach out to me. Uh, my email for the show is dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com, or feel free to send a message to any of the show pages like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever. I'm trying to keep track of all that. Right now, I'm still featured on Podbean as a featured podcast, which is awesome, and I'm still very high on the list, which is fantastic. Check out their service if you've ever thought about doing a show of your own, or if you just want to change the service that you use to stream podcasts. It's free to stream on, and it's very reasonable if you are looking to host your own show. This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host the Just Dumb Enough podcast. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. 
Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. Lastly, some ranking updates. Uh, Number one, still the United States. But the top states have swapped, so it is now California first and then Indiana. Number two, Australia showing up by force to take back this number two spot after they got knocked down to four last week. Number three, Canada with Quebec just barely outperforming British Columbia. Number four, the United Kingdom. And number five, New Zealand doing its best to hold on over some strong competition, so congratulations to them. That about does it for this week. I'll see you all in the next episode. Bye bye